The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data. Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, a Ben J. Shap LLC production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about the science behind consumer behavior. Joining us is Nick Hobson, who is the chief scientist at Emotive Technologies, which is a data-driven technology company that measures engagement between consumers and brands. Backed by behavioral science, Emotive offers products including Apex, a brand management software that allows companies to understand what informs their consumers' behavior through tangible metrics as well as providing other actionable insights based on real information about their audience's desires. Yesterday, Nick and I talked about what attitudes drive consumer behaviors and a little bit about whether stereotyping is something that is a reality or something that you should or shouldn't do as a marketer. And today we're going to continue the conversation talking about the science of measuring audience engagement. All right, here's the second part of my conversation with Dr. Nick Hobson, Chief Scientist at Emotive Technologies. Dr. Nick, welcome back to the MarTech Podcast. Thanks for having me again. This is great. That was your chance to drop the hello, everybody. Oh, <laughs> damn it. Another Simpsons joke for anybody who didn't listen to yesterday's episode. But in that episode, Nick and I talked about what drives consumer behaviors. And a lot of it is understanding the balance of the person that you're marketing to, you know, whether they are emotional or rational. And everybody has a different blend of those two factors in their decision-making process. And you end up not only focusing on whether you're looking for irrational or rational buyers, but you're also thinking about what groups they live into. And so, you know, we start to group people by some of how they think about their identity and market to them based on those behaviors. Nick, you said yesterday, one of the things that stuck out to me, and I, I asked you to put a pin in it, was talking about your ability to evaluate and use data to understand what somebody's sort of mental state is or what their psychology, what goes into their decision making. Let's spend a little time talking about that. How do you figure out, or I guess, what are the variables that you think about when you're trying to understand what someone's decision making looks like? So you can start from the very beginning, which we often do. In the beginning. And we say, to your question, if we had to sort of lay out every single reason, every single psychological state, every sort of internal process that actually happens, if we could, in some weird futuristic world, which maybe we're not so far away from because Elon Musk will probably get there, if we could look at them 
on a screen or on a table and say, these are the 10, these are the 20 or whatever number it is that matter most in predicting some sort of important outcome. That's the ideal sort of state we want. Now, human behavior and the human mind and the human brain is infinitely complex. And although we've come a long way in the last 100 years, and in particular, the last 20 years since sort of like neuroscience and cognitive neuroscience technology, there's so much work to be done to get to a really great point where we have a great deal of accuracy. So you start from that point. And then the question for us is, okay, what is that number? Is it five? Is it two? Is it three? Is it 25? We don't know. And we use very fancy statistical modeling things that's called like factor analysis and other sort of more advanced modeling that gets into the realm of AI and machine learning. And we basically prove or show with a degree of confidence that these are the number of things and this is what they are. Now go and collect data and go figure out how strong they are within a group of individuals. So the second that you said neuroscience, my pea brain got intimidated and started to blank out and not be able to comprehend the various factors. So I understand, and I'll put this in layman terms, we could take pictures of the brain right now and we can get actual data to see what drives activity. So we could provide stimulation and understand what's happening in the brain and then start to use data from what stimulus is being driven to figure out some idea of decision-making process. Am I thinking about this the right way? Yes, but it's a proxy. So it's not a direct one-to-one mapping. So when it comes to fMRI or functional magnetic resonance imaging, those are the people listening have probably seen. It's an image of a gray, black, and white brain. And then there's these colorful blue, red, green blobs. This is your brain. This is your brain on drugs. Those images. Exactly. Exactly. And it's like, whoa, it's all lit. And we even use the term, it's all lit up. Like, look, it lights up here. It lights up there as if that's how the brain works. Not really. And why it's a proxy or why it's a bit of a leap in logic is because of what fMRI does. So what fMRI is, or how it works, is the brain sort of does its thing, right? It's a set of neuronal or neural firing. And when that happens, when there's this electrical activity that's triggered within a particular part of the brain, it needs a sort of a sudden and intense blood flow because it's sort of just used up some energy. So the blood flows to that part of the brain because it needs glucose, (laughs) it needs more energy. What fMRI is actually recording, that data, those colorful blobs you see, that is not direct brain activity. That is the blood flow that's happening after the fact, a few seconds after the fact. And when I say, oh, it's a few seconds, you say, oh, that's not a huge amount of time. That's a huge amount of time in terms of the brain. So we just have to be careful when we're in a marketing context and neuromarketing is sort of has become all the rage. I read more often than not claims from the neuromarketing space that are way overblown and totally inaccurate. And I don't blame those people. It's because the scientists and the neuroscientists haven't done a great job in explaining things like what is fMRI? What is that technology? How far can we go in making these conclusions and talking about these things? And that's just one example of how the technology actually works. Okay. So understanding the baseline of how we're able to capture data about how the brain is stimulated, help me think about what are some of the things that drive or what you can measure that might actually show what triggers a pattern of behavior, what creates the stimulus. What can we do as marketers to actually get people to buy more shit? (laughs) So I think you need to look at the thing you're sort of interested in and you need to triangulate. 
you need to come at it with different methodologies, different ways of capturing those data and asking that question. The cheapest, the easiest, the most scalable way is through self-report. I was going to say Facebook advertising, but go on. (laughs) Marketing joke, sorry. (laughs) There's other ways that we're getting better in getting that data and getting that accurate information about an individual. But traditionally, typically what's been done is we give a person a survey and we ask them, hey, person, tell me how you feel about this. Or maybe it's in a focus group. So maybe it's some sort of behavioral measure. Another way is sort of what's called a revealed attitude or emotion or an implicit. So going back to what we were talking about yesterday, the idea of things being unconscious processes. If you ask a person, tell me how you feel about X, and then they tell you how they feel, that's an explicit sort of report. They're telling you, okay, well, I'm thinking about it and I feel this. We're not very good at introspecting our internal state. We're actually terrible at it. So we as researchers and marketers need to think about new and exciting ways to get that information from the individual through some sort of more implicit means or get them to reveal that state of mind, get them to reveal about how they're going to act or behave in a way that's a little bit more covert or indirect, if that makes sense. Okay. We can't believe people in studies because they're going to try to frame themselves as the hero in their own story or... They're trying to preserve their sense of identity and self, and people are just not going to be honest with themselves about what drove their behavior, so therefore they probably can't be honest with you. We're very biased. Right. You were much more articulate in saying exactly what I was trying to say. (laughs) So we got to come up with other ways to get people to report on what drove their behaviors other than looking at their brain activity, fMRIing everybody as they're walking around, looking at their phones. A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mixed modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost-effective. Request a demo at mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Time for a one-minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. In 1919, John Wanamaker said, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. Well, the advertising landscape has changed since then, and instead of reaching your audience on two channels, you're probably reaching them on 20. Turns out John didn't know how easy he had it. But that doesn't mean that you should give up on striving towards marketing effectiveness. No matter how complex your marketing strategy is, Mutinex Growth OX is the market mix modeling platform that measures the impact of marketing on your bottom line. Mutinex's market mix modeling platform calibrates your insights against the latest market conditions so you can make media and marketing investment decisions confidently and quickly. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, your best decision starts here. To learn more about Mutinex, go to mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Okay, here's the rest of today's interview. What are the ways that we can start to understand what is actually driving audience engagement, consumer behavior? I'll name a few recent methodologies and things that we're thinking about at Emotive and Apex and pulling into our own product. 
So one example is with content semantics and emotional linguistic analyses. So if we assume that how a person writes, whether it's an email or whether it's spoken, and then you can transcribe that into written words, if we assume that that language is sort of a window into a person's mind and brain, then we can also assume that it's easy to infer how that person feels about some sort of brand or some sort of product. And if you're worried that they're not going to be totally honest with you, if they're going to like explicitly tell you in a self-report survey, then get some information, get some data of where they've talked about it, where they've written about it, ask them a question, and then have them elaborate in a written response. And the technologies there from these linguistic analysis tools, which are fantastic, and they're sort of built on pretty straightforward machine learning, where you have a training data set, you feed this written text into the machine, it has its algorithm, and then, then it spits out a sort of set of category scores that says, this person feels this way about that thing. And it's usually more accurate because you're sort of circumventing the problem of social desirability when a person's telling you how they feel or how they don't feel. So that's one example of sort of a semantics analysis. It actually breaks all of the advice that I've given to people on the MarTech podcast for like the last three years, where generally what I say is, look, you're overcomplicating this. Go talk to 10 customers. Ask them about what they're looking for. Ask them about where they're looking for it and ask them about what their needs are. I understand that people are biased, but every time I talk to a customer and I take some qualitative data out of that interview and I apply it to a marketing campaign, those campaigns tend to perform better. So either I'm lucky or they're not completely full of shit. So how do you reconcile the idea of getting customer feedback or prospect feedback and that impacting marketing performance and people being implicitly biased and not being able to self-report what their behaviors and desires are? So much of it depends on how you're asking the question, whether it's a quant approach or a qualitative approach, like you said. If you ask and frame the questions in the right way, or if you have like a, like a, you know, a lab or a focus group and the questions you're asking are carefully considered and well thought out and validated and tested beforehand to know that you're minimizing as much of that bias as possible, then the resulting response and behavior and answers that you get from those prospects or customers is going to be good. I'm not saying like, don't go and ask your customers. I think that is a sort of a good practice. But just be really careful and be mindful about how you're asking that and how you're teeing up the question. Kristen Berman, who's a behavioral scientist, has a great TED Talk. And I think she makes a claim like the title of the TED Talk is something like, don't listen to your customers because they don't know what their preferences are. You know, she's being a little bit provocative as well. But it's along those lines that if you ask the question in such a way that's like leading the jury, basically, they're going to come out with some sort of terrible answer that's not going to actually be of any use to you when you go to market. So you have to test, you have to validate beforehand, get those qualitative, get those quantitative items and statements and frame them in such a way that you're going to get more of an accurate output of human psychology and human behavior. Give me an example to help me understand how this all works. So with Apex, with our tool, we gather sort of the ratings of 16 attitudes, 16 feelings and 16 beliefs. We feed that into our IP and our algorithm spits out and says, this is how every single one of those 16 elements drives a consumer to act or to advocate for your brand or product. Now, let's take one, for example, is dependable. We don't ask the user, the customer, do you think that brand X is dependable? We say, do you think that brand X has your back? 
So we make it revealing of that internal state. Because as soon as you attach a title or a piece of language to something, then it gets all sort of mixed up and people interpret it a different way. And they're saying, oh, you want me to dependable? Oh, that's it. I'm supposed to say yes, right? Because I'm supposed to be like a good customer or a good employee or whomever your audience is. So we sort of ask it in a way that allows the individual, allows the end user to reveal that interstate. That's interesting. I would have thought that rephrasing the, is it dependable or do they have your back, that that would have been very similar. I would have assumed that it would have been some sort of a ranking of measure the dependability of, you know, these three brands and you're comparing three and that way you can understand their relative feeling of dependability. But maybe I'm getting a little too much into the weeds there. It seems a little semantic to just change the language. No, that's a great point is that we have to get into the weeds. We don't spend enough time in the weeds. And that's why I think there needs to be sort of more researchers within consumer behavior and MarTech for that matter which may change it. Like maybe there are more people who are getting into the weeds who are thinking about these things, but for a long period of time within consumer behavior marketing context and other business industries and verticals, we glossed over those details because we thought they were unimportant when in fact they are very important. And you need to think about some of the really nerdy and geeky things like semantics and how you ask a question and how you frame it. And you need to go out and which we did with Apex is we basically validated every single one of our 16 statements, which stood for one of the attitudes and one of the beliefs. And we sort of compared them side by side and said, okay, if you change one word in this statement, the data look a lot different. And sort of let's go with option two over option one, because we know that's a stronger predictor of the behavior we're looking for. Here's how I'll reconcile this in my head, because I am implicitly biased and (laughs) want to defend the idea of getting customer behavior and talking to your customers. You have to go talk to your customers. Right. I think that that's something that we all agree is a good data source to understand how you should be doing your marketing. It's not always what you're asking them, but also how you're asking them the questions that is incredibly important in what data you're getting. So understanding how to not let your customers be influenced by your potential biases is something that really requires not only art, but science. So I guess the last question that I have for you is when you're starting to think about how to ask those questions, how to not bias your customers while you're getting your feedback, what are the ways or what are the resources that you recommend marketers go to to learn this practice? Well, behavioral science, (laughs) psychology was probably just to get like the... Psych 101 with Nick Hobson. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) In terms of like the technical skills of survey design, and here's a fancy word that we use, psychometrics. So psychometrics is the science and the technical study of measurement and how you design questions to measure and to track certain internal states of a human being. So I would say on the technical side, like, yeah, if you want to take like a, a MOOC on psychometrics, please go ahead. But there's some good, more lay-friendly books out there on measurement and psychometrics. The other place I'd say is in collaborations, right? Like you said there, art and science. I think that's a really important call out because if you have too many scientists, and trust me, I've been there, you're going to get nowhere. You need that healthy balance. No such thing as too many scientists. What are you talking about? (laughs) Yeah, I tell you there is. You need that right balance because the more sort of creative individuals will push the scientists and challenge them and vice versa. And I've been in both scenarios, both situations, both encounters multiple times. And the best outcome every single time is when you have the scientist with the creative and you have that perfect balance. You have that perfect blend because going back to being in the weeds, the scientists can get way too far into the weeds and you need that little bit of like a a helicopter view. You need to pull them out. And I find the creatives help with that to get a balanced perspective. 
At the end of the day, maybe we should all be staffing out our marketing departments with behavioral scientists. Nick, if that's the case, you're going to be a hot commodity. <laughs> I appreciate you coming on the show and walking us through a little bit of the science behind behavioral psychology. Thank you so much for having me. It's a, a real pleasure. All right. And that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks to Dr. Nick Hobson, the chief scientist at Emotive Technologies, for joining us. If you'd like to get in touch with Dr. Nick, you can find a link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can contact him on Twitter. His handle is Nick M. Hobson, N-I-C-K-M-H-O-B-S-O-N. Or you could visit his company's website, which is apexscore.ai. That's A-P-E-X-S-C-O-R-E dot A-I. Just one more link in our show notes I'd like to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, head over to martechpod.com, where we have summaries of all of our episodes and contact information for our guests. You can also subscribe to our once a week newsletter, and you can even send us your topic suggestions or your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is martechpod, M-A-R-T-E-C-H-P-O-D, on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, or you can contact me directly. My handle is Ben J. Shap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, we're going to publish an episode every day this year. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app, and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. All right, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy. Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.